Blessed are those who do not see and have believed. God comes to us in ways that we can understand. If we were made purely of spirit, God would come to us as a purely spiritual being. But because we are made up of both spirit and matter, both a soul and a body, God comes to us as such. He comes to us in ways that we can understand. We are not like angels. We do not see God directly in this life, spirit to spirit. Rather, he comes to us through matter and spirit because that's the best way for us to learn. That's the best way for us to encounter anything. It's first through the senses, then to the spirit. God knows this. For St. Thomas, the resurrection was something that he would not yet believe until he had experienced it first with his senses. Then we have this incredible line from the Lord himself that says, blessed are those who do not see yet still have believed, which obviously we can place ourselves in that place. We believe in the resurrection. Please, God, we believe in the resurrection. And we're able to place ourselves in that place of Thomas without having seen the Lord and still say, my Lord and my God. But there's an interesting aspect to the way that God comes to us. Have you ever had that thought where I wish I were one of the disciples? I wish I was able to walk with Jesus, to experience that grace, to be with him in those three years of his ministry, in those moments where he literally walked the earth. How special would that be? And how much greater would my faith be? Well, it would be a great grace, absolutely, but I don't necessarily believe that our faith would be greater. The Spirit had not come yet, and we're still waiting for the testimony of the apostles. Even in St. Paul's case, when he's giving testimony and so many people are converting, church after church, seemed to be coming apart, coming to pieces as St. Paul was doing his work. He did not have 2,000 years of history to tell him this church indeed would endure every single trial the world would throw at it. It's a difficult time to have faith, the time of the apostles. So I think rather than take our own time for granted, to be able to rest on 2,000 years of history is entirely consoling for us. But if God comes to us in ways that we can understand, how do we reconcile the fact that Jesus came at this extremely privileged time and place? It wasn't to North America. It was to the Holy Land. It wasn't any other time period. It was zero to 33. Those 33 years were the time when Jesus walked the earth. So how does God continue to come us come to us in ways that we can understand when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago in a place so far remote from us. And St. Thomas gives us the answer once again. Though it was Jesus, through his witness and testimony of his own resurrection, appearing among them that gave the apostles faith, we receive that same faith in the resurrection through their testimony. 
God still continues to come to us in ways that we can understand through human persons. This is how he always worked back to Moses and the prophets. God decided to speak to his holy people through human persons, through mediators. And the same is happening even to today. Our testimony, our belief in the resurrection rests upon the testimony of the apostles, those who witnessed Jesus having been brought back in the resurrection. We believe because the apostles believed. The apostles believed because they encountered the resurrected Christ. We can apply this to a particular application with the forgiveness of sins. Notice that Jesus does not forgive sins after the resurrection. He reserves that to the apostles. Before the resurrection, we hear various miracle stories where Jesus will both heal the person and forgive their sins. And yet, after the resurrection, that power is given to the apostles. So similar to the witness of the resurrection, where first the apostles witness the resurrected Lord, and we believe the resurrected Lord through their witness, the same thing with the sacrament of confession. After the resurrection, Jesus gives the power to forgive sins to the apostles. So Jesus would forgive beforehand, and the apostles would experience that. But after the resurrection, it's the apostles who have the power to forgive sins. It seems fitting on Divine Mercy Sunday to talk about confession, so we'll proceed in this manner. Oftentimes, the number one um, objection to the sacrament of confession, the number one question that comes up is, why do I have to go and tell my sins to a priest? Why can't I go directly to God myself? And it's an interesting question. First, as human beings, the way we encounter something is not directly through the Spirit. Not in this life, not this side of heaven. This pedagogy, this teaching that Jesus prefers, that God prefers, is for our benefit. It's for our sake. God wants to give us the gift of a higher degree of certainty and encounter with something we're familiar with. God comes to us in ways that we can understand. And same thing with the sacrament of confession. This is something that's not unfamiliar to a Jewish person at the time Jesus walked the earth. Even if a leper was healed from leprosy, he still couldn't come back to the community. Do you know what he had to do before he was brought back and reconciled into the community? He had to show himself to the priest. Already there's an order set up in the Jewish faith that in order to be brought back into the believing community... You had to show yourself to the priest. He had to recognize that you were healed. He was a representative of God. Recognize you were healed and bring you back into the community himself. There's great parallels here. Even Jesus shows the authority of the priesthood in his day when he says, after healing the ten lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. And they do. Jesus is respecting the order of mediation that he himself set up in the book of Leviticus as God, right? Jesus is in union with the Father, so everything revealed in the Old Testament is the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes? Great. 
The day of Yom Kippur was the only day in the entire year when all the sins of the people were forgiven. And guess how that happened? It was through the mediation of a priest. So to a Jewish person, it's not unfamiliar at all to experience the forgiveness of sins through someone that was a mediator between God and man. In addition, and this is my favorite aspect, argument for the importance of the sacraments of confession, why God chose to set things up this way, the thing that actually happens in absolution, and this is amazing. So every sacrament conforms us to Christ in some way, specifically Christ on the cross. We know that a perfect act of contrition forgives even mortal sins. Now, the problem with a perfect act of contrition, what is a perfect act of contrition? A perfect act of contrition is expressing sorrow for one's sins only for the reason that we've offended God. It's out of love of God that we're sorry for sins, not fear of hell, not at all. Do you know how difficult a perfect act of contrition is? I don't either. I have no idea. I am not certain whether I have performed a perfect act of contrition. My favorite reason for why God gave us the gift of the sacrament of confession is because though I am not certain that I've ever made a perfect act of contrition, I know that God has given me a sacrament that when I go and have an imperfect act of contrition, that my sins are forgiven. He has given me the gift of certainty through these mediators, his priests. So what happens at the moment of absolution? What's the thing that actually occurs? How are we conformed to Jesus Christ? So the amazing thing, because Jesus is perfectly man and perfectly God, he knew all sins that would ever be committed from the history of the entire world. When he was on the cross, he confessed to the Father every single sin that we would ever commit, all of us, and asked the Father for forgiveness in his perfect contrition, his perfect sinlessness, his perfect sonship that's in line with God. And in that confession, all sins are forgiven through his saving act on the cross and his confession of our sins. Jesus had perfect contrition from the cross. So just as in every sacrament where we are conformed to the crucified Christ, our imperfect act of contrition at the moment of absolution is transformed and conformed to Jesus' perfect act of contrition from the cross. It's not just a substitution. It's our imperfect contrition is taken up into Jesus's prayer from the cross and confession of our sins and transformed and conformed to his perfect act of contrition. That's how our sins are forgiven. So to those who question why this sacramental order is set up, who prefer to, quote, go to God themselves without needing a mediator, without needing a person, the same words of Jesus at the end of our gospel ring true. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. We accept this testimony from the apostles as taught by Christ, that he is indeed 
the one who forgives sins in the place of the priest. And it's the same thing... Losing my mic. I must be talking too long. And it's the same thing that our testimony, our belief in the resurrection is taken from. If we begin to question the sacraments of confession and prefer to go to God ourselves rather than the order that he set up, that's the same argument to not believe in the resurrection. I have not seen the resurrected Lord except in sacramental form in the Eucharist. If I don't accept what was handed on to us by the apostles, the forgiveness of sins and the sacrament of confession, how on earth can I believe in the resurrection with the testimony handed on by the apostles present at the resurrection? It's a great gift to go to the sacrament of confession. Now, a last note, a little story. I've probably been to confession over a thousand times in my life, no joke. I mean, you take 13 years of going to confession once a week, and it adds up over time. So in any case, I'm an expert at going to confession. It's a great way to receive God's mercy, to grow in the spiritual life, to receive God's grace, to help live a more perfected and sanctified life. It's only through His grace that, that we can do any good. But a little story from seminary. People often wonder, what on earth does the priest think when I'm telling him these things? First, sin is boring. That's why I always have coffee in the confessional, right? There's only one original sin. Everything else is variation on the theme. The only original sin was Adam and Eve. There's only 10 commandments. There's not an 11th. You're not going to say something that's new or somehow hasn't been said in the history of humanity. So that's thing number one. Number two is we got to do something called uh, confession practicum which is hilarious because all of the professors that you highly regard and respect then act as penitents, and they often use voices like, 12-year-old girl confessing this, hasn't been a confession this long, and they'll play the part. So it's ridiculous to hear these things coming out of the mouths of these professors that you venerate with great respect. In any case, I don't give testimony from my experience, right, as a priest. I can't do that. But I can give testimony about that practicum. And this is what a priest is thinking when extremely large sins are being confessed. Oh, my gosh. I, I cannot believe the amazing grace and sincerity that this person is confessing this. Who am I to be worthy to receive such contrition and authenticity, such an act of love and trust in the Lord, that this person is coming with everything, with their trust in the Lord, giving everything to him, it's the most beautiful thing I get to witness as a priest. It's amazing. Someone having such trust and love in God that they're pouring out every last sin, seeking forgiveness. And I'm here to behold this. I'm only here by grace and by God's call. Who am I to receive this great gift? It is the Lord's. And it's the most beautiful thing I get to experience. That's what a priest is thinking when someone's going to confession. I say this to you because it's, it's just so edifying to see people take use of the sacrament and to see the healing power of the cross being active. And I'll leave you with this line. In the Eucharist, 
The blood of Christ is truly present. But in the sacrament of confession, the blood of Christ is operative. He's present in the Eucharist, but the blood of Christ poured out for the salvation of, of the world, it's operative. It actually works in the sacrament of confession. So it's a beautiful thing. On this Divine Mercy Sunday, I ask that you continue to have recourse to this amazing sacrament, to seek the Lord, to trust the testimony of the apostles, and to live in that confidence and that certainty that God has indeed forgiven our sins.